Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. My guest is the author of eight novels, and her short stories have appeared in over 40 anthologies of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Her work has appeared in Bram Stoker's finalist and other fine publications. She is also the editor of Slay, Story of the Vampire Noir. Please welcome Nicole Gibbons Kurtz. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you that for was an awesome intro. Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming to hang out with a perfect stranger. Well, at least talking to a perfect stranger for however long this lasts. <laughs> no problem. Okay, first thing out of the gate, sing Rocky Top. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You went to UT, right? I do. I'm <laughs> like I'm from Tennessee. I went to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I can sing. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's a total earworm. It'll be in your ear like all night. <laughs> I, my music teacher made us learn Rocky Top when I was a kid. So, like, when I hear it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know that was University of Tennessee's fight song until I was, like, 17. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yep. That's because you weren't raised in the foothills of the Smokies like I was. <laughs> Everything is orange and white. Everything is orange and white. Football games on Sunday in the fall. You don't, I mean, if you miss church because the balls are playing early, oh, well. (laughs) Oh, so football is a religion down there. Got it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. If your blood doesn't run orange in Knoxville, they'll have some strong words for you. They love their volunteers no matter how well or not so well they're doing. Do they even care about the basketball teams at all? They do. Yep. Okay, just checking. I know. I know football is king in the SEC, so I, you know, some it is right. Um, but the you know the girls with Pat for a long, long time were really big. Um, the boys, you know, they were like in a final sixteen last year. So, yeah, no, they care. I don't know how well like <laughs> the guys, you know, the rowing team does, but. <laughs> You know, or tennis, but definitely the big three sports in college football, they care a lot about. I'm looking at my mouth pen. It's a big old Tennessee. <laughs> After this show, I'll take you the picture of my mouth pen. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it is my alma mater, though, so. <laughs> That's fair. Um, actually, one of your coaches, uh, Conzo Martin, uh, uh, it went to my alma mater. We were both at Purdue at the same time. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I know he wasn't a great coach, but it was the link, only link I had. That's all I got. And my sister went to UT. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> now that song's going to be stuck in my head all night. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> you are welcome. Are you ready to answer six, the six questions? I am. Question number one. When did you know 
you wanted to be a writer? It was actually like ninth grade and and my English teacher was like, hey, Nicole, they're having this district-wide essay contest and I think you should enter. And I always enjoyed writing like, since I was a kid. So it was, my mom was a writer. She's a very big journalist. She chronicles lots of things. So we would just spend time writing and reading books and magazines. I was like, sure, I'll write an essay. And so I did, and I won. And I won out of, like, every other high school student that submitted in the in, in Knoxville. And I got paid for it. And I was like, wait, <laughs> you can earn money from this? That's kind of when I realized that it didn't have to be a hobby, that it could be a profession. I read books, so I knew there were authors that got paid to write novels, but I didn't actually think that it could apply to me. Most of that is because there weren't a lot of black authors that I got to see living in Knoxville and growing up, other than like Alex Haley is from Knoxville. But that was like chronicling his, his roots. That didn't appeal to me. I'm reading Stephen King books, right? And so I didn't see a lot of black women horror writers. So it didn't occur to me that Nicole could be paid to be a writer until that time. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? When I first started out writing professionally, I wish I would have known more about the business side of writing. I thought, foolishly so, that you just, like many people thought, think you write your novel, you edit your novel, you, you submit it to an agent, you get an agent, and you get published, and that it's this very linear process. And if you, you know, and if you get stuck in that process, like you can't go forward, like you can't get an agent, you just circle, right? You spend, keep sending out to agents, but you don't, there's no other pathway to go forward because that gate is still locked to you. So I wish I would have known when I started out that that was not the case and that there are many different avenues for publishing. Now there's more now than there were when I started out 20 years ago. But there were other options then, too, and I didn't pursue them because I didn't know about them. So I wish that I would have known more about, like, I wish mentoring. I wish I would have, I think part of it, too, is where I live. I lived in Knoxville, which is not a very diverse city. They'll argue that, but it's predominantly white. And I think the African-American population at the time I was growing up was, like, maybe 10%, maybe less. So it wasn't like I was able to have a mentor or someone to nourish and nurture my desire to be a published author. And even though my bachelor's degree is in writing, it's in rhetoric. It's not in creative writing. It's in rhetorical writing and persuasive writing. So it's, it's rhetoric. And so I think that if I had to do it over again, I would have stretched beyond my city and beyond my university. And I think I would have asked. I didn't ask. I didn't ask my professors. I didn't, I didn't ask for the help that I think that I needed. But I didn't know what questions to ask. And so I think if I could take the knowledge I have now and go back <laughs> and start it over, I would definitely do it differently. So as an educator, you get to do that now and you get to guide new young minds towards, you know, their dreams. That's got to be fulfilling, right? Oh, yeah. I work with secondary kids and so students. And so a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, you work with the older kids. How can you? They're just big children. Like, they're just older children, but they're still children. 
and they still aren't sure about things, they still need guidance and structure, they still need all the things they needed when they were six or eight. They're just in bigger bodies. And so I think that working with kids now or working with students, it's actually a lot like, I'm also a mom, but I also like to see kids and say, you know what, you can do this. You can do this. And I think, again, it's easier. Information is is easier because I can say go to these websites, right, or talk to these people, right. Whereas before, our world was a little less connected. (laughs) I had to go to the card catalog to find things. So I think that that's a big point, too. Like kids, I was just telling someone the other day, I think Penelope and Alicia and I were talking about how important, how different we might be as adults if we had access to the world that black girls have now, the representation that black girls have right now. Like how different would we be as black women nerds and geeks? How different would it be for us, right? What fields, like we would probably be in different fields. I would probably be in a STEM field or a tech field or like where would we be if we had, you know, the representation that black girls now have? And it still isn't perfect, not by a long shot. But, you know, they have, like, hidden figures, and they have Shuri, and they have, I mean, we've always had Storm. But it was always very slim pickings, like what was available in terms of when Yohora, Lieutenant Yohora. There's always that one. And so now there's, like, a plethora, plethora of options and representation. It's fantastic in YA publishing and literature. It's not perfect. There's still a long way to go in terms of diversity, but there is more. And I think that's important. If it makes you feel any better, my oldest will be, will reap the rewards that you ladies have laid the found out, lay the foundation for. So if nothing else, thank you for that. <laughs> it's always great. Like it's always great to work with, especially when I work in schools that tend to be title one schools, And when black girls come into my room and they see like, my anime stuff and they see like my speculative fiction stuff, posters and stuff on the wall. A lot of them are still seen. It's like, whoa, <laughs> my black teacher's a nerd like me, right? There's that sense of being seen. They don't have to hide it. They don't have to explain it. They don't have to worry about family members talking about it. It's weird. Also, fandom itself is now mainstream. So that also helps, right? Thanks to superhero movies and... <laughs> Things like that. So fandom in and of itself has gone mainstream, which I think eliminates or kind of decreases some of the stigmas that came with being a black nerd. I definitely can see, though, okay, this is going to be all right. This is going to be cool when <laughs> they come into class. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Okay, so my favorite hometown restaurant is this little bitty Italian restaurant right outside of Charlotte. And my favorite go-to is Shrimp Scampi. It is fantastic there. I have no idea what they do to it, but it is absolutely delicious. Is there a story behind how you discovered it or anything? Yes. My husband and I, are we, <laughs> we're big Renaissance Festival people. And we actually had our first date at the Renaissance Festival. And so we had... The next year, we, the second year of our relationship, we thought we would go stay at a hotel close to the Renaissance Fair and, you know, just hang out that weekend there instead of driving back and forth. 
um, to Charlotte. So we stayed at a hotel, but we, you know, it was one of these places where we were walking around in this, you know, downtown, a little, little downtown, and we're like, oh, we need a place to, we like Italian food. And there, we were like, we try, we'll try this mom and pop place, right? It's authentic, you know, it's off the, it's right downtown. And, and it's kind of not, it's like a house. <laughs> it is called a Mama Mia too. And it's actually a place that my husband had eaten at before with his family when they had come up for the Renaissance Festival. So we went back there and I was like, this place is like a dump. It is literally a house that's been converted into a restaurant. It was amazing. <laughs> so every time we're in that part of the, part of the city, we, uh, we go there. And every time we, like our wedding rehearsal dinner was there. Um, like, because <laughs> we got married at the Renaissance Festival. But yeah, that's kind of why. Like, and I order from Skeppy a lot of places, but that is my favorite restaurant. It is my favorite thing to order. You got married at a Ren Fair? I did. And so the Renaissance Festival, the Carolina Renaissance Festival has wedding packages. So my husband and I um, had the queen at our, in her court at our reception. We had a harpist. And we had the royal guard stand at attention and blow horns as we came in, as our wedding progression, our wedding party progressed to the, you know, up to the podium to get married. And then we had um, Renaissance style dancing, dancing lessons from the ladies in waiting for guests and for us. We had a toast to our, our marriage by the queen. Of course, they, they hung out and took pictures with the guests and we toasted to mead, and <laughs> we were driven to the jousting event that was held in our honor via horse-drawn carriage. And we sat with the queen and the king while they while the joust went on, <laughs> and that was it. And then the rest of the time, our guests could explore the Renaissance Festival for the remaining three hours. That is dope. It was fantastic. Like, it was easily the most, it was brilliant. It was cold because it was November, but it was definitely one of the most, it was the most fun I've had in my entire life. <laughs> and our guests had fun, too, because they got to do things they don't normally get to do. Like, it's, like not all of my family have been to a Renaissance festival. And so here we are at a wedding, and they're looking at <laughs> pirates and people in costume. And, you know, there's a royal court. They're doing these dances they've only seen on like Shakespeare plays or whatever. So it's very memorable for them too. And then they got to spend the next couple of hours after the wedding just having fun at the Renaissance Festival, something they probably would have never done on their own. And then my friends who were big time ring goers, it's a chance to go back to fair, right? So it was just a lot of fun. It was cold, but it was still a lot of fun. <laughs> Question number four. What are you curious about? Right now, I'm most curious about my son's future. I want to know, like, I'm curious about who, what kind of men they'll become. They're 19, 19, and 16. And I'm just kind of curious about who they'll be when they're 30 and 40. Because of our current situation, it's not even a current situation, our continuing situation with social justice and black males and black people in general in this country, I am constantly curious and concerned about 
their features and who they'll be. And that weighs on me a lot because when they were little, they were with me, but now that they're men, they're kind of out in the world. And that that's, I'm always curious about becoming what decisions they're making. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? You didn't ask about Slay, <laughs> the vampire anthology that I'm working on. Miss Nicole Givens Kurtz. <laughs> I heard that there's yes. this anthology that's coming out that you're involved with called, I believe it's Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir. And I was wondering, A, is that true? And B, <laughs> would you tell me and our listeners all about it and i will beg for sure. a free and i will beg for a free copy later <laughs> number 1 yes you can have that um, and two i can talk about slay so slay stories of the vampire noir is an anthology of 28 stories written by authors that feature black vampires or black vampire slayers and those stories can be from all over the african diaspora it's a huge volume of stories. It's already 458 pages. Um, but definitely stories where blackness is centered in regards to vampires. Very few of the stories actually are Stoker-like. I think there's only one. that, I, And I think it's Penelope's story that actually references the Renfields. It has a direct connection to Dracula. But the rest of them are very different takes on vampires, on vampire hunters, on family, and they run the gambit from being like a YA coming of age discussion story, like coming of age sisterhood story, to a futuristic vampires where it's far in the future and vampires run everything. And it's just a very eclectic group of stories, and I don't believe there's been an anthology quite like this that is just set with all black protagonists that are vampires or hunters or slayers. And so we're pretty excited about it. It releases October 13th, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon. It will be available in ebook, in paperback, and in hardcover. And so we're pretty excited about it. So I'm happy I edited it. <laughs> that was fun, going through Slush and trying to pick out the best stories. But I definitely think that if it does well, we'll definitely do a volume two, because there are many, many stories that I rejected that I kind of would have liked to have had, but I've run out of space. <laughs> so, yeah, if you like vampires, even if you don't like vampires, because very few of the stories are gory, a lot of them are about humanity and just being, like, just being human and how you work within the confines of this condition. And then some of them were just straight up <laughs> butt-kicking heroin type of vampire slayer story. So, I definitely think there's stories in there for everyone uh, over the age of 18. And it sounds amazing. Like every uh, author that I've talked to that is in the anthology has told me about their story. I'm like, uh, I really need to figure out a way to get my paws on this. And I'm going to tell everybody because it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I, I'm not saying that because I am the editor, but I really like, these stories like I like them a lot and they're a good core stable of authors I've been in a few anthologies and I 
as the owner of Mocha Memoirs, I've put together a bunch of anthologies or overseen a bunch of anthologies. But this is a good group of authors. I'm not saying the other ones weren't, but the energy and the dedication to the project, and it's just been fabulous with them. You know, because some of them come on your show and talked about it. It's amazing to me how supportive the black speculative fiction community is. For the last few weeks, I've felt like Wilson, Tim's neighbor in Home Improvement, and I get to peek over the fence and check out all you cool kids playing in your sandbox. I appreciate you all giving me a chance to peek behind the curtain. Oh, yeah. I've been doing this, like I said, for like 22 years. And so uh, the community itself of black speculative fiction artists and authors, they've all, I have not had anyone who A, has not been willing to share knowledge, B, assist, C, booster signal. Like there's just a, it's a, again, it's a community of let's help you reach that, right? And, and it's just been, there's enough pie for everyone approach to things. And it's just been fabulous. Like I said, I've been in the community a long time and I've not had any instances where I'm like, okay, we can't play with them. (laughs) No, I'm taking my blocks and going home. No one's ever been like that. And knock on wood, but they've just all been very collaborative and supportive. Question number six. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last one. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? Teachers. Carry on. So, like, teachers would get the day off, right? Like any other federal holiday, but they would be celebrated in places. They can go to restaurants and get free meals. They can go to the mall and get discount. Well, if there was a mall, they can get discounts on clothes. There would be parades that celebrate teachers, and education would be something that is celebrated and adorned. And the people who deliver that and make sure it happens would be held up and celebrated and honored instead of being, you know, trashed and downtrodden by, you know, public opinion, the media, whoever, that day will be to celebrate those that educate us. They educate our kids, they educate every, you like literally teachers, whether you go to a private school, whether you go to a public school, whether you are virtually learning, there's an instructor giving you that information. And unless you're homeschooled, uh, even then some of the homeschool kids still use like virtual platforms to supplement they're learning and there's a teacher there there's an instructor behind that and I think that that teachers do not get the accolades uh, promotion and celebration that they a deserve and I don't and I think that too they if we were to make it a holiday then they can't get a bonus per se but they get that day off from work and that people are like well teachers have teacher work days you don't understand teacher work days are for students Teachers actually have to work those days. They don't get to sit in their room and eat, you know, chew bubble gum and watch movies. They have to work. It's usually for, like, professional development or training. And so those days, are like, oh, they get the summers off. No. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> it's like, what? And I didn't realize that until I became a teacher myself, just how that mythos harms teachers. 
that's not the reality that they're living in. And that's not been the reality that teachers have loved, have lived in for the past 40 years. But there's this enduring stereotype that they're off all summer. They don't really do anything in their classrooms. And man, I don't know what kind of teachers y'all been hanging out with, but I taught for 18 years. We don't have a whole lot of those. And those that are like that don't stay. They're gone. Like they get fired, they get removed. Stuff happens to them. If I had my druthers and my magic wand, I would make a day that just celebrates teachers. And they would get all the perks that veterans get on Veterans Day. They would get all the perks that police get. They can go to Chick-fil-A and get a meal for free. Like I, They would get all the accolades that they deserve. I am in firm agreement. Anybody who's been successful at anything, there's always that one teacher. Inspires them, right? Like that was that was. It's always a teacher that inspires them. People go. People are inspired by their parents. I'm getting wrong, but for a lot of us, it was a teacher who was the who did made all the difference in who we became. Right. And it really it just it just was for me. It was a teacher. You know, my mom did the best she could, but. She wasn't super educated. She was a teenage mom. And so she knew enough that to go to, to the school and say, my daughter is five or four, four, and she can already read. Can y'all get some books for her? <laughs> like, you know, uh, and actually seek out who she needed. But it, once she sent me to school all day, I was in the hands of my teachers. And it was up to them to either continue to spark that reading interest or spark that writing interest or to extinguish it. And they chose to do the former, right? I just, if I had my way, teachers would just be paid like pro athletes. They would get, their schools will fully be funded no matter what neighborhood it's in. They will all have access to updated technology the way that, yeah, I, mean, I would make tech companies give them the most recent whatever. If I had a wand <laughs> and uh, the Amazon dude's money, <laughs> I would change the world. I would not sit on it. I would. I would definitely try to change teachers, teachers' fate and status in our society. <sighs> I wish I had something else to add, but that that sums it all up as far as I'm concerned. It, I agree with everything you just <laughs> said, so man, here we go. <laughs> so if you didn't catch you can't that. can't tell I've been thinking about that, right? <laughs> you can't tell that's not been on my mind, right? I've been thinking about that for a while. So where can listeners find you on the internet and buy your books? So you can find me at mochamemoirspress.com. You can find me in my own, my work at nicolegivenskurtz.net. Both Mocha and myself are on Twitter, as well as Instagram and Facebook. Um, You can find all of those social media links if you just go to the website and just click on Facebook or click on Instagram or click on um, Twitter. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was a great time, and you made me laugh way more than twice. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, take another two minutes, log on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded this, leave a five-star rating and a review. It would help the show grow. Remember, you can contact me at Does all one word, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a question or suggestion, you can also contact me at DemondDoes, once again, all one word, at gmail.com. Next week's guest is another doozy. 
I would describe him as a warrior poet, to be honest. He's the author of more than 20 novels and game books, including role-playing games. Join me as I have the pleasure of talking to another favorite of mine, author, screenwriter, and martial artist, Bologun Ojetade. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live. Bitches.